Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. It would move, the companies would move to wherever they raise capital. So there was an effort uh, in the early 2000s to start aggregating pools of capital here in this region so that when we had startup companies, they would stay here. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World. It's Will. And Neil. What up, man? Hey, another week. What are you doing? Not a spare moment of time in my life right now. Well, you got one for me right now, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always for big bro. You and our listeners, you know, so that's you, <laughs> mom, dad, and occasionally one of our sisters. So got all day. <laughs> Speaking of listeners, numbers are rising, man. You think these people, you think these people really uh, pay attention to what we're saying? I don't, I don't think they're paying attention to what we're saying, but I think they are paying attention to some of our guests. Obviously there's some great things going on in Appalachia and I appreciate the, the rise in listenership. Me too. Or, I guess, I guess folks got some extra drive time. You know, that's usually the best way for me to catch podcasts. So when do you listen, Will? Is that the question I'm asking anything that's, Friday? That's, that's it. That's our question. I don't even know what the question is yet. That's <laughs> my question. When do you that's listen? That's the Ask Anything Friday question. When do I listen? You know, you know, to be honest, I do listen to podcasts when I mow the lawn. So I, I listen then. I listen in the car, like doing chores around the house or something. I've I'll always, definitely put in my headphones and listen to whatever. There I've, is always, I've always wanted to listen in the shower, Will. The next shower. Waterproof speaker? Yes. The next shower that I build, I'm putting speakers in my shower. (laughs) And, you know, think about it. If you you had it queued up, ready to go, and, like, you knew what you were listening to the next morning, like, I think you'd get out of bed earlier to hop in the shower and listen, tune in to a positive Appalachian podcast, don't you? That's a good point if it's something you're looking forward to. Yeah. You You build a lot of showers, do you? Well, you know, I've built several. <laughs> I mean, let's not lie. Let's be honest. I mean, I, I'm creating. But the next one you're going, the next the one next you're building. One, you're the next one, I'm putting a speaker in. Yeah, the next shower, know. let's say I don't really build a lot from scratch. I usually gut them. Meaning and gut, never? No, I mean, like, I usually gut them and redo them. Oh. I mean, true. I can still use two hands to count the number of showers that I've gutted and redone, but two I hands? haven't. I haven't put a speaker in yet, and that's gonna happen. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good idea, man. It's a wonderful idea, you know. Make sure it's waterproof. Oh, it's gotta be. Well, yeah, because it's. I wonder how long it would last. Like seriously. What do you mean? You oh, think- the speaker in a shower. Yeah. Oh, how how long speakers last in general? I, without I mean, being I, in the shower. I think it would be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing it. Makes or you, you know you don't you don't even have to i don't guess you have to put it in the shower but you could put it in the bathroom but I, I found if you put it in the bathroom sometimes when you get in the shower it, you turn the water on sometimes you can't hear it exactly you need but, one in the shower yeah i would stay in the shower even longer <laughs> just listen how many showers would you how many showers ask anything friday how many showers a day would you take if you had a if you had a speaker in your shower? well i can tell you right now without a doubt never a day goes by that i don't take two two showers a day yes i cannot i, I have to have a shower when i get up like something yeah i understand I, that i have to but i have to also have one before i go to bed really I feel dirty if I don't, man. Every single day of my life, I take two showers. I can't believe that. I can't help it. How, how was your father's day, man? I cooked for our father. A little grilling. I, I, I grilled out, too, on Father's Day. It was a nice day here. What'd you grill? Some kebabs. 
little steak, little chicken. Cool. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I grilled some uh, cheeseburger and hot dogs, but I also grilled some cabbage. First time I've grilled cabbage. Why? Why would you um, grill cabbage? I don't even like cabbage. I know. I didn't think I did either, but it's pretty tasty grill. What do you put on it? I just put some butter and salt and pepper. and. I guess if you like, grill it, it gets soft? Yeah, it gets real soft. It was pretty good. I mean, I got to be honest. How long, you put, how long you throw it on the grill? I cooked it for about 40 minutes, and I had no clue what I was doing, so it was a total guess. Seems like a long time. I put it on a top rack, you know. I had kebabs, and I fixed some onion rings. Kebabs and onion rings from scratch. Oh, you fixed the onion rings from scratch. That's what I was going about to ask. That's that's impressive. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, it was a good day though overall. So I wanted to ask you current news. What do you think <laughs> about the the live tournament? I knew it was going to be about sports. It always makes it easier for me when you ask me questions about sports. <laughs> this kind of um, has something to do with where we're going tonight. But what do you think about it? I think it's what the world is coming to in all facets of of athletics. I, what I, money? Yes. I just had this conversation with one of the local high school coaches. You know, as you know, I've talked several times. I have a 19-month-old, and we were just debating whether or not by the time my 19-month-old got to high school, would there even be high school sports? I mean, I think that I think the live is a perfect example of everybody's out for themselves, especially yeah. in golf. So people are critical of live for for the golfers just going after the money, but you hear NBA players all the time talking about getting the bag, and they take pride in getting the bag, which means getting as much money as you can. And yeah. but then they criticize the golfers that go on the live tour. Yeah, there's some hypocrisy there when it comes to the NBA, who they back. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, Saudi-backed tournament like the Live Tour. I'm just saying that NBA talks about getting the bag, but then they want to criticize other pro athletes getting their bag. Uh, so remember when we had the action program on Nathan Vanderford at the Markey Cancer Center? Yeah, action, tell us what action stands for, Will. Appalachian Career Training and Oncology Program. Yeah. Boom! Boom! You know, I like uh, an acronym. You know, they, they came out with the book the last couple of years. This year, they've come out with Appalachia's Burden. And it's a joint effort between the Action Program and the WKU. Shout out to Western Kentucky University. Photojournalism photo Program. They have collaborated to put out photos of cancer patients, the stories of their life. There's several. If you go to the website, Appalachia's Burden. It's pretty cool. And they also, it's so cool that the it recently won the 21-22 Hearst Multimedia Digital News Enterprise Story competition. So I just want to give them a shout out. They've been on the show. And like you said a couple of weeks ago, when somebody's on the show, only good things can happen. Yep. Also <laughs> wanted to give another Shout out. It started yesterday. The big day is today. It's the Soar Focus Summit on Entrepreneurship and Innovation. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times. I just wanted to give them a plug. But one of the things I wanted to highlight, you know, it's all about entrepreneurship and innovation in the Appalachian region. One specific panel that they have, Access to Capital in Eastern Kentucky. Several people on that panel, including Invest 606, the Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation, Community Trust Bank, the Appalachian Investors Alliance, and Key Horse Capital, which is a venture capital fund. Access to Capital has been an issue for a long time in Appalachia, especially in Eastern Kentucky. And I'm assuming this panel will talk about some of the opportunities, some of the things that they're doing and future of capital in Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia. That's something that we hope to talk to our guests tonight about funding in those rural places and the difficulties behind that. We talk about creating jobs all the time on here. Venture capital-backed companies have created a majority of the jobs over the last several decades. Um, in fact, venture-backed companies have, have grown almost tenfold that, to that of non-venture-backed companies since 1990. So those are significant numbers, especially when it comes to growing industries. That being said, you know, VC is not for every company. And I hope to get into that a little bit more with our guest tonight. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Will, because we're, that's who we're talking to tonight. 
Grady Vanderhoofen, Will. Yeah, with Three Roots Capital. He has been investing in rural Appalachia for a couple decades now, and we want to talk to him about that, the importance of venture capital. Yeah, I think, Will, lots of times when you mention that word venture, it's it kind of scares people. It's not always a bad thing. You know, I think before in the past, there's been some some venture capitalists out there that have maybe taken advantage of some people. But the way the, the, the market is now, it's it's just another avenue of being able to finance projects and things like that. So it's not altogether always bad. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's exactly right. I think especially in Appalachia, where we have, a, you know, this extraction, extractive economy over the last several decades, where outsiders have come in and taken things from us without giving much back. A lot of times, People in our area look at venture capital the same way, but our guest tonight is going to expose that myth, talk about it a little bit, talk about venture capital in general and what he does on a daily basis. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to learning more about it. Let's get Grady on. All right, let's go. Today's episode, we have Grady Vanderhoofen. He is the founder of Three Roots Capital, Meritus Capital, the Southern Appalachian Fund, as well as the Tennessee Fund, which we will get into later on. Three Roots Capital was actually founded in June of 2016 to provide capital and advisory services for entrepreneurs, companies, and projects in low-income and rural areas of Central and Southern Appalachia. Grady, we just want to welcome you to the show and we appreciate your time, appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, Will. I appreciate the fact that you're interested in talking to me. <laughs> Getting in conversation in regards to venture capital is important, especially for this area. And we'll get into why venture capital is important for business. But one question that we ask all our guests, we wanted to start it off with you. But as Appalachians are big on tradition, our family, Neil and I's family, we're big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, usually like a big spread of appetizers, more appetizers than we actually have of the meal. So we wanted right. to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Do I have a favorite appetizer? Well, I have several. You know, I'm a, I'm a chips and salsa guy. I also like jalapeno poppers. Oh, you know? yeah. Cheese stuffed bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers. Uh, you big. make those from scratch? Well, yeah. In fact, I grow jalapenos in the garden at my house nice. and uh, we'll make our own poppers. Yeah. Nice, nice. I, we have never had that answer. I, I love them, but we, yeah, we've never had that answer. Now that we have that question out of the way, your organization, Three Roots Capital, it's a community development uh, financial institution or CDFI, which is it's set up a little bit differently than Meredith Capital, than the Southern Appalachian Fund, than the Tennessee Fund, which I mentioned yes. earlier, which are your typical venture capital funds. But just to, just to back up a little bit, can you just let our listeners know, for some of those that don't know, generally, venture capital is extremely important for businesses. In the last couple of decades, venture-backed businesses grew 1,000% from the 90s to 2020, eight times more and faster than non-venture-backed companies. Venture companies create a majority of the jobs over the last couple of decades, which, you know, data has proven that. So can you just briefly suggest what venture capital is and why it's important? Sure. You know, in a nutshell, venture capital is it's risk capital. And specifically, it's a form of investment capital for, for young, you know, early stage, innovative businesses that have high growth, right? And venture capital is a form of institutional capital, right? And, and I say that to differentiate venture capital from angel capital. Angel capital, capital that comes from high net worth individuals, is also critically important capital for young companies. But when I talk about venture capital, I'm differentiating between capital coming from an individual and capital coming from an institutional investor or a company or a fund. And, you, and a fund manager may go out and raise capital from individuals 
or raise capital from corporations or pension funds or insurance companies or banks. They hold that capital in a pool, then they take that pool of capital and they go out and invest it. So that's institutional venture capital, where it's professionally managed, professionally deployed risk capital that's going into young and small businesses that usually have some innovative aspect of the business, technology or technical development, and there's an opportunity for rapid growth and, and rapid value appreciation. That, that's a great explanation. I, I did mention that Three Roots Capital is a CDFI, so it's a little bit different than your typical venture organization. Can you can you explain what uh, a little bit about Three Roots Capital? Why it's different? Why you focus in the in the region that you do focus? Sure. So you know I've been doing this for thirty years now, and one observation that we've had over thirty years is in some parts of the country there's a lot of capital and there's a high velocity of capital. So this process of raising pools of capital, investing that capital, harvesting the investments and returning capital to investors and doing it again, that happens rapidly in places like Silicon Valley. That happens in Boston. There are places where the traditional venture capital model works really well. Appalachia is is not such a place. It doesn't mean it doesn't work here. But there's not as much capital for venture investing and there's not as much velocity of capital. So over a period of time, I became, I came to like the concept of evergreen pools of capital, where you can raise the the money one time and deploy it over and over and over again. So you're reinvesting. And, And really, Three Roots Capital, Three Roots Capital is a nonprofit. It's a CDFI, as you mentioned. It's a 501c3. We don't have shareholders. We've raised $128 million. And that's capital that we can invest over and over and over again without having to return capital to investors and start over again from scratch. And I've just come to appreciate the fact that that model works well in this part of the country where the heavy lift of raising a new fund every two or three or four years it's a challenge, quite frankly. It's not impossible. We've done it. We've raised multiple funds. The Southern Appalachian Fund, as you mentioned, is a traditional venture fund. Traditional in the sense that it was structured like a traditional venture fund. Right. Not traditional in the sense that we were investing in low-income areas in Appalachia. Right. Meredith Ventures was structured like a traditional venture capital limited partnership, where you have a general partner that manages the fund, and the limited partners are the investors in the fund. Limited partners don't participate in investment decision-making. They just provide capital. That, that model works. We know how to do that model. We've done it. But the, the idea behind the structure of Three Roots Capital is you raise the money one time and you invest it over and over again. Now, how do we do that? Most of our money, frankly, is borrowed from banks. Not all of it, but most of it. We've gotten some money from grants, We have some retained earnings on our balance sheet. That gives us some capital that we have a lot of flexibility and autonomy in terms of how we deploy that capital. But a lot of our capital is money we borrow from a dozen banks. They want their money back at the end of the day. But as long as they're getting the return they need on the capital that we have, they let us keep that capital. We recycle that capital. We re-lend it. We redeploy it over time. And so that is a, that's a non-traditional structure, uh, but I think it fits this part of the country and it allows us to uh, spend less time raising money and more time deploying money. And you can do that because you're a nonprofit, correct? Because we're a nonprofit, that is absolutely correct. Now we have, uh, you know, we have a fund called the Tennessee Fund, which is an affiliate of Three Roots Capital, and it is a for-profit fund but it has a single nonprofit limited partner. And so contributions are made to that nonprofit limited partner, which then invests in the for-profit fund. And the fund can generate a profit, but it allows recycling of gains through this single nonprofit limited partner without having those gains taxed. So over time, that pool of capital grows based on successful investing 
and the capital can be redeployed. Now we do fundraising for the Tennessee Fund on an ongoing basis, but it's fundraising in a different sense because it's funded via tax deductible contributions to a nonprofit. And so people have to understand uh, you know, what we're doing with that capital and how we're deploying that capital. And, and I think it's important to let the listeners know that having these multiple funds, obviously on the East Coast, on the West Coast, you see a large number of funds. You don't see as much in Appalachia, obviously, but having these funds is important because if the money is local, the businesses typically will also stay where the money is. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great point. And that's actually how I got into, that's how I came to be in the finance business. My background is actually mechanical engineering. I have two degrees in mechanical engineering. I came to Tennessee in, at the end of 1990, beginning of 1991, to be an engineer at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and did engineering for a while and then got involved in technology transfer and technology commercialization. The idea being, how can we take the stuff that's being invented or developed at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and, and do something that's commercially relevant with it? So it's not only federal research and development, but it's how can we go and make products and services in the market out of this research? So we started creating startup companies. In the late 90s, I was involved in the creation of a dozen startup companies based on innovations that were coming out of Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Without fail, those companies, we would start them and they would relocate to somewhere else where they could raise capital. So we could start a company in Tennessee and it would move to California. We would start a company in Tennessee, it would move to Austin, Texas, or it would move to Boston, or it would move to New York, or it would move, the companies would move to wherever they raise capital. So there was an effort uh, in the early 2000s to start aggregating pools of capital here in this region so that when we had startup companies, they would stay here. So, you know, I, I think of a business as a three-legged stool. You, you have a product, uh, you have a management team, and you have capital. And the product might be based on technology that comes out of Oak Ridge National Laboratory or a university. But you have a product or service, you have capital, you have a management team. If you're missing any one of those legs of the stool, the stool won't stand up. So you can have great ideas. You can have great people. If you don't have any capital, the business isn't going to go. If you had unlimited capital and you had great ideas, but you didn't have any entrepreneurs to run the company, it's not going to go. And what we found is the leg that we were most missing in this region was capital. So we said, hey, let's try to aggregate some capital and capitalize on these innovations that are taking place in this region so the companies will stop moving out of it. You mentioned Meritus. You started that in 2006, I think, with a few partners. It was the first rural business investment company, which was registered by USDA. You also, as I mentioned, started the Southern Appalachian Fund. Between those two, I read somewhere that you raised approximately $53 million, invested in 16 companies, up to 300 million return on that investment, which is incredible for the Appalachian area. I just wanted to ask you, and in your with Three Roots Capital now and the Tennessee Fund, what type of businesses do you look for? What type of investments do you make for the Appalachian region? Obviously, all regions are different. Businesses aren't going to be the same everywhere. Innovation and growth businesses aren't going to look alike. Entrepreneurship is not going to look alike everywhere. So just what do your investment, what, what do you look for when you look for investments in this region? Yeah, well, first and foremost, you know, it's important that we are we are geographically focused. So, you know, some investors and some traditional investors, they say, hey, we're software as a service investors, or hey, we're artificial intelligence. Your thesis is more geographical. Our theme is geographic focus. So we're generalists, right? You, some some people might even say, Oh, you guys are schizophrenic because you invest <laughs> in all different stuff, right? And we do. And you know, sometimes we make equity investments. Sometimes we make loans. Sometimes we, we make loans that act like equity, like, for example, a revenue loan, basically as a royalty on revenue. We try to structure our investments to fit the companies in which we're investing. So is it an investment? Is it a loan? Is it a hybrid? 
There are lots of different structures you can use with common stock, preferred stock, et cetera. And it gets very technical, but we're trying to fit the companies in the region. Sometimes there's an educational process that goes on. The entrepreneur needs to understand why the deal is structured the way it is and, and how does that make sense. So there's an educational process, but we'll invest in almost anything. I mean, it has to be compelling, obviously, but you know, we've had successful investments in uh, intelligent traffic management, you know, mach machine vision, image processing. We've had successful investments in software companies. We've had successful investments in media, streaming media companies. Uh, right now, you know, recently we made an investment in a, in a biotech company that's looking at treatments, you know, post-COVID treatments for tissue healing. Uh, we've made an investment recently in a company that's an energy efficiency company, looking at very efficient ways to cool large buildings. I mean, it's, I mean, a huge variety, you know, carbon, carbon nanofibers, and really, all, all, we will look at almost anything. And it's got to have a compelling value proposition. It's got to be something that we think will work here. That, that suggests that there is deal flow within the Appalachian region. Venture organizations on the East Coast, the West Coast, they don't often look in middle America. They don't often look in Appalachia. Why do you think that is one? And then what are some of the challenges to venture capital within Appalachia? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I, I think one of the things we've said over the years, there are world-class sources of technology and innovation and world-class entrepreneurs in this part of the country. There are people that are incredibly capable, intelligent, hardworking, absolutely can make a business go. There are generators of technology that are unequaled in the world. You know, the fastest computer in the world is 20 minutes from my office, right? <laughs> 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. It's a great point. So you're like, wow, that's incredible. So why is there not, you know, why is this the flyover part of the country? There's a lot of capital, as you know, concentrated on the coasts, and there's a lot of time required to fly from the West Coast to East Tennessee or Southeastern Kentucky or West Virginia, or to fly from New York or to fly from Boston. There's travel time. I, I believe one of the issues is it's just less efficient in terms of time invested by the investor, right? So investors that don't live here are less likely to invest here because they're not here. Um, you know, some years ago, we were making some investments in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the guy who was the mayor of Chattanooga, who went on to become a U.S. senator and is now retired, he focused big time on how can I attract investors to Chattanooga? How can I get venture capital funds to put offices in Chattanooga? Because he understood rightfully, hey, if I can get the investors to be here, they will invest here. If I have to try to get them to come in from the West Coast or come in from Boston, I might get them. They might come, but you know they may not. I'm, I'm invested. We have an investment in a company, a, a wireless company in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, there's an investor from Boston. There's an investor from Connecticut. There's an investor from Ohio. But the, but the fund that's in Ohio has a guy in Charlotte. So we have been able to attract some capital into the region. But, but you know what? It's because there were some local investors. Yeah. The guys who were out of town said, oh, there's somebody local there to sort of keep an eye on this thing. They were more comfortable. That's a really good point. You know, our region, the Appalachia region in general, has historically, you know, it's historically been exploited in, in regards to our natural resources from outside investors who will come in, buy large swaths of land. Do you think that's a challenge for people in our region? Just the skepticism around outside resources, venture capital specifically, but what do you think about that point? I, I think it's possible. I, I, I do believe it's possible that that is an issue in, in some circles and some corners. As I said, there's a lot of education that goes on. And we've been doing this for a long time. And it's actually much better now than it was 20 years ago. Honestly, it's very different today than it was 20 years ago. I, I think this is a great place to invest right now for a whole bunch of reasons, at which we can talk about. But there's still an educational process. That goes on. You have to explain to an entrepreneur 
how you're going to invest X amount of dollars and you're going to buy a piece of the company. And then at some point in the future, we're going to sell this company. It's going to get bigger and more valuable and it's going to grow. And then at some point in the future, we're going to sell the company and that's how we're going to get paid. You know, it is very much a relationship business. The entrepreneur has to trust the investor and the investor has to trust the entrepreneur. If people think, oh, this is a transaction. It's actually a relationship built around the transaction. You make an investment. Everything prior to making that investment is like dating, like dating, exactly. right? And then you make the investment and it is you just got married. Exactly. You, better, you know, you better trust each other and you better like each other and you better be able to get along for some number of years or, it's, you know, people aren't going to be happy. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, VC is not for everyone, right? It's not for every company. In fact, it's for a small minority of companies. Many, many people start and build very successful companies and don't raise money from an outside investor, let alone venture capitalist. Venture capital is the right financing source for a tiny minority of companies. Generally, a company that, that has the potential to grow very fast, become very valuable, and everybody understands that the way you get your money out is you sell the company. If it's something they want to buy and own for decades and they, they, and they want to transfer it to their children and their children's children, that might become a wildly successful, valuable business, but it's not really going to fit the venture capital model, which says at some point we have to sell that. Now, with that said, we made an investment in a company up in Covington, Kentucky some years ago. That company is still in business. It has 350 employees today, and it's a fantastically successful business. When we invested, it had about 10 employees, and the company wasn't sold. What we did was we sold our stake in the company back to the founder. Once the company had grown to the point that had value and it was making money, we were able to sell our ownership back to the founder. So that company was, and it's an ESOP now, it's an employee-owned business, very successful business, but, the, but we had to make money, right? We had to sell our ownership. We had to make money. We had to return capital to our investors. I, I love that idea. I think ESOPs are so important. And, and, you know, you see a lot of times VC funds get in, the board wants that company to grow really, really quickly, really fast, so fast that sometimes that company's just not as successful as it should have been. And you see that all the time with VC uh, funds. You do because the, you know, the pure economic motivation, right? I'm a capitalist, right? I, I <laughs> reinvest to make money, right? You, you, right? you have to be a capitalist to be in this business. But sometimes the economic motivations so overwhelm all of the other considerations that companies do things that might make sense in the short term, but don't make as much sense long term. If you're taking a really a long term perspective and you say, well, would we do this? if we were thinking about what it's going to be like five or 10 years from now. So we try to do that. I mean, we try to take a long-term perspective because this, it is different investing here, but that may be another factor that affects how much capital flows in here from the coast. It could be, Hey, it takes a little while to get here and it takes a little while to get back. And I don't have an office there. So, but it could also be when it's time to sell, how quickly can I sell? Who am I going to sell to? How am I going to get my money back out? Is it going to take me an extra year to get my money back out? Because traditional investors that think in terms of IRR, IRR goes down as time goes up, right? So I may sell it for the same amount of money next year as this year. Well, I made the same amount of money, but my internal rate of return is lower. And professional investors who think that way may think, mm, I don't know if I want to get my money into a company in Western North Carolina, because who am I going to sell it to when it's time to sell and I need to get my money back? Like you alluded to earlier, that education piece is really important, especially in our region. Not necessarily shift gears, but just to change the focus a little bit. You know, in the venture capital industry, there's been this focus on DE&I or diversity, equity and inclusion. And when you hear that, you know, a lot of times this focus has been on women, minority owned businesses, but also bringing women and minorities into the venture capital game. Uh, for lack of a better word, as fundraisers, as part of organizations. But one thing they often leave out when they talk about DEI is that geographical standard, the rural areas. 
You know, they often talk about women and minority-owned businesses, but they often leave out just entirely the rural areas, which just as important when you're talking about DE and I is a major point of why we wanted to have you on the show because your funds focus on those areas. Have you seen that the rural areas to be left out and why they're being left out? I absolutely see rural areas left out 100 percent. There's there's no doubt about it. I've, you know, I've been involved in a couple of different trade associations over the years. Community Development Venture Capital Alliance, and then recently a group called the Impact Capital Managers. And, it, and it's all about deploying capital in areas and in communities that traditionally have not had access to capital. So it could be low-income urban areas. It could be minority and women-owned businesses. Theoretically, it's also geographically a broader or more equitable geographic distribution. But I'll tell you, that is an area that, in my opinion, just does not get as much attention. And for some of the reasons that we've said, it's not easy to do, right? It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily easy to do to go find a high-quality investment prospect way off the beaten path in a rural area and deploy capital there. There, there are reasons why it's not done. But there isn't nearly as much attention being paid to how do we drive capital into geographies that have been ignored over time as there is attention being paid to specific communities, women-owned businesses, which is all good stuff. It's all good stuff, right? But a low-income urban area is more likely to attract an investment than a low-income rural area absolutely. for a whole bunch of reasons. And, and that is absolutely an underinvested segment of our society is, is, is rural areas. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think there's nearly as much attention and effort being devoted to that. Now, maybe there might be a little more now, but it's trailing a lot of the uh, in attention that's being given to some of the other underinvested communities. Yeah. Even, even when you see some of these funds, which I, I obviously I know you're familiar with Rise of the Rest, you know, they talk about funding middle America, but you look, you look at where their funds go. They go to these metropolitan, micropolitan areas. Rarely do their funds ever go to rural, truly rural areas where they also have some great innovative ideas. Yes, I agree. You know, we have, we have a loan. It's not an investment. We have a loan in Morgan County, Tennessee. Low income, persistent poverty, rural area. Guy re repurposed uh, what was a prison into a tourist attraction. <laughs> and it's one of the, I mean, it's, it's a great story. You know, we financed, uh, you know, there's a, there's a distillery there, there's a restaurant, there's a gift, gift shop, they do concerts, et cetera. Now, it, 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 that's an example where it wasn't a pure equity investment because it's not a venture capital type of an ROI, but it's a business that's a viable business that needed some capital in order to grow. Nobody from the West Coast is ever going to look at that deal. Nobody from Boston or New York or DC will ever put a dime in that deal because it is where it is. We needed to have a local source of capital to support that business. It's not going to produce a 10x return. It's not going to become a publicly traded company, but it does generate an ROI and it does employ people and it is successful in that part of the country and that, you know, in that community where it is. And there are there are lots of opportunities like that. There, those opportunities are not going to be compelling to traditional venture capital. You make such a good point, which is why organizations like Three Roots Capital, like Meredith, is so important for the Appalachian region. So, Grady, uh, one of the questions that Will and I always ask all of our guests, just to kind of see what kind of comes to mind for, for all of our guests, and what I really want to know is what, what pops in your head first or what rolls off the tongue first when I say the word Appalachia? The first word, well, you know, obviously think of, you know, beautiful countryside. That, that's what I think. I think yeah. a beautiful country. Also, Grady, I'm going to, I'm going to steal this question. Will likes to ask this question, but I, I'm just going to steal it from him tonight. You know, I think you may have touched on this a little bit, but just where do you call home and what makes it home to you? Well, I definitely call East Tennessee home now, but I grew up in Western Colorado. I grew up in a small town in Western Colorado, and most of my family still lives there. And I left Western Colorado to go to college in Connecticut. So I went from Western Colorado to New England, and I went to college and graduate school, and then I got married and I moved to Tennessee. And I moved to Tennessee 
counting the days until I moved back to Colorado. But I can't, <laughs> think, I cannot wait to go back to Colorado. I love Colorado. It was a great place to grow up. And 32 years later, you know, my wife and I and our four kids, we still live in East Tennessee because we love this part of the country. And I didn't even know, you know, what I do for a living right now is not what I thought I was going to do when I graduated from college. I thought I was going to be an engineer and I started out as an engineer. I didn't even really know anything about finance, but, you know, this, this is a great business to be in, in this part of the country. There are challenges like anywhere, you know, it's much different. Being a venture investor in Appalachia is different than being a venture investor in Silicon Valley. It's just not the same thing, right? It's conceptually the same business, but it's radically, radically different business. But we love this part of the country. We love being here. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll ever leave, right? It's just a testament to what Neil and I talk about all the time. But we're a little biased, you know. We talk, we talk about the magic of the mountains, how they just draw you in the Appalachian Mountains. And, and I think that's a perfect testament to, to that point from, from a quote unquote outsider. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, I, uh, I know a lot of people who didn't grow up here and have moved in here and love it. The majority of the people I've worked with in the last 30 years, honestly, were not natives. They moved here from somewhere and fell in love with it and stayed. Now, there are a lot of people, you know, I've one of my business partners for years and years and years is he lives in southeastern Kentucky. But, you know, even he was originally from Louisiana and Mississippi. And he moved yeah, right. when I was growing up, if you would have said I would live in East Tennessee, I would have been like, what? That, you know, that's, <laughs> from Western Colorado to East Tennessee, that's a, you know, that, there's a long, that's a long ways away. But once we got here and we got to know the people and, and you know, got to know the environment, this is a great place to live, no doubt about it. And I think a lot of people are noticing, you know, there's a massive influx, as you know, into oh. some areas right now, massive influx of people. Neil and I talk about all the time how um, we've always known that Appalachian's cool and everybody else is starting to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the venture business is different in different parts of the country. And it has to do with how people go into that business. Like if you go to the West Coast, there are a lot of people in the venture business that made money. They started companies that became very valuable. They sold those companies that had a lot of money. They became investors. So they have a very entrepreneur-centric approach to venture investing because of, of who's deploying the capital. If you go to New England, you go to the Northeast, there's a lot of people... There's banking, investment banking, structured finance. And I talked to an attorney one time at a large, large firm who did work all over the country. And he said, the Southeastern US sort of has the worst of everything in terms of venture capital, because they try to use a structured finance approach, but they don't have enough money to really do it. And so it's just evolved. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting evolution. And it's so much better now than it was in terms of the amount of capital that's available, the quality and number of entrepreneurs, people that understand the concept of entrepreneurship. It's such a better scenario now than it was, you know, 20 years ago, but it's still very different than traditional venture capital markets around the country. I would say even in Tennessee, 75% of the venture capital that's invested in Tennessee is invested in and around Nashville. 15% in West Tennessee, 10% in East Tennessee, right? So you say in the country, right, all the capital is going in on the coasts. 80% of the venture capital is on the coast, 20% in the rest of the country. Then you wow. come into Tennessee, 75% is in and around Nashville, 20, 25% outside. It's super concentrated, yeah. right? Uh, of the venture capital that is deployed, only 2% goes to rural areas and one percent of that to central Appalachia. Yep, I totally believe in fact we just we just wrote something recently as part of a grant application actually trying to get some trying to do some things to aggregate more capital. And we looked at a lot of data and the the, the numbers you just said are entirely consistent with the data we looked at. Almost uncountable amount of capital that flows into rural Appalachia in comparison to the total amount of venture capital that's being invested. It's yes. a tiny, 
tiny piece. Now, I think part of the solution to that is, you know, there's something to be said for attracting capital from outside of the region. But another thing that I think is to motivate capital that's already in here. There is some amount of wealth and there are some number of successful companies and there are universities and stuff that's already operating in Appalachia. So going through the educational process of helping those potential sources of capital understand why it would be good to invest here is a way to aggregate capital. We can go to California and try to convince California VCs come invest in Appalachia, or we can convince people who already have resources in Appalachia to allow their capital to be invested that way. And I think that's probably going to be the more successful approach. We, we have attracted capital. Our fund, Meredith Venture, 95% of the money came from outside of Appalachia. Okay. But guess what that means? It means when you make investments and they're successful and you return capital to investors, it all flows back out of Appalachia. Exactly. The 95% that came in, you make a, you have successful investment, you distribute capital, it goes back to where it came from. So if we want to have a self-perpetuating access to capital operation in Appalachia, we have to raise capital in Appalachia deploy the capital in Appalachia, and then have successful exits and get that flywheel going in Appalachia. I think this uh, conversation has definitely gone full circle, which again points out why your organization is so important. And how can, you let, how can our listeners get in touch with Three Roots Capital? How can they get in touch with Grady if they would like to, if they're an entrepreneur or a business, innovative business out there? Well, you know, threerootscapital.org, www.threerootscapital.org. You know, we have biz dev folks. We have lots of information on our website and we are always looking for deals, whether it's a loan or an equity investment. You know, the center of the target for us is East Tennessee. But if you go out one ring from there, it's all of central and Southern Appalachia. And we make loans, we make investments, we do hybrid things. We have enough experience and knowledge that we we know how to structure the investment to fit the company and the needs of the company. And, uh, you know, we have, I told you, I think I said, we've raised, you know, three weeks capital, we've raised $128 million. And about half of that is what we call dry powder right now, looking for deals. We're looking for deals. Nice. And when you say Southern Appalachia, you, you're including Georgia and Northern Alabama? Uh, Northern Georgia, Northeastern Mississippi, uh, Northern Alabama, Western North Carolina, the upstate part of South Carolina, Eastern Kentucky, Southwest Virginia, You're really sort of the Southeastern part of Ohio. We would look at deals there. We, we've looked at stuff in Southern uh, West Virginia. So Central and Southern Appalachia. That's, that's tremendous. And we definitely commend you for the work that you do the work that you're doing, uh, the work that you will continue to do. And, and we thank you. And we, I want to also thank you for being on the show today to give us that brief history of VC, but also of what your organization is doing and why it's doing it. Well, Will, I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate the fact that you were interested in talking to us and I was happy to participate. <laughs> Grady's on point. He knows his. He knows his stuff. I was again like a sponge, trying to take it all in. You know, like like we said during the interview, it's, it's extremely important for people like Grady to have these funds that he has to raise the amount of capital that he has for the Appalachian region, especially in in venture today when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. A lot of times that inclusion just talks about, you know, women-owned, minority-owned businesses, but they leave out the rural areas. They leave out the other areas outside of metropolitans. And as we talked about with Grady, you know, it's extremely important to to focus some funds where the there has been disinvestment over the last several decades, which is in rural America, small towns, especially in Appalachia. Yeah. And with that disinvestment, with the lack of capital, you know, having CDFIs, having venture funds like Grady's is important for our area. The, the real important thing is, is to get more people involved in the venture capital space. So if we have more people in the venture capital space throughout Appalachia, there's more opportunity for businesses to get funded, but there's also more opportunity for those businesses to stay in Appalachia. 
So, Will, do you have an at biz for us to highlight this week? I do, Neil. We mentioned them very briefly in the intro, the Appalachian Investors Alliance. They claim to apply a new set of best practices for venture funding in the heartland of Appalachia. They are a network of key investors. I just wanted to give them a shout out because they're doing some work quietly throughout the region uh, investing in businesses, investing in entrepreneurs, and trying to drive the economy throughout the region. North Mississippi Innovation Fund, the High Country Impact Fund, the Allegheny's Angel Fund, Sheltawee Medical Device Fund, the Southern Tier New York Angel Fund, and the One Focus Fund. They also partner with a few funds outside of Appalachia. They have a lot of other partners in regards to innovation, in regards to entrepreneurship, to help build the entrepreneur ecosystem. And I just want to give them a shout out and say, you know, you can check them out. It's the AppalachiaInvestors.org. Yep. I thought Grady made some excellent points during our discussion, but one of the points that, you know, we really want to kind of continue to focus on is the lack of investment, especially in rural areas. Like Grady said, it's really difficult to do venture investment in rural America, but he does it on a daily basis. And it can work. And so we want to dive into that a little further, potentially, maybe in a future episode. Yeah, sounds good to me, Will. It's all about doers. Grady's one of those that have found a way to be a doer. And he continues to do things in, in our neck of the woods. So I'm encouraged by everything he had to say. So I guess after all that, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin Now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong And in the mountains again